All right, well, we are in the final part of this series. We've been looking through the seven I Ams uh, as recorded in John's Gospel. We've looked at Jesus stating that he is the bread of life. He is the light of the world. He is the door, the good shepherd, the true vine. And then last week, Ruth looked at Jesus declaring, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone bursting into song when they hear that? And so today we're looking at the final part where Jesus declared, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So why don't you turn with me if you've got your Bibles. I'm just going to read a few verses um, starting at John chapter 13, verse 36, and through into chapter 14. All right, it says this. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me afterward. And Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. And I will take you to myself that where I am, you may also be. And you know the way to where I am going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Amen. Amen. Well, it's an exciting weekend in the Filmer household. On Friday evening, we booked a holiday. Who knows holidays are amazing? We booked three nights in London. So some of you may remember that back in 2018, we booked a holiday to London and we were super excited. We had the train booked, we had the hotel booked, we had all of our outings planned. It was all organized and ready to rock. And we got the kids hyped up. They were super excited. And then the, the evening before, Caleb wasn't feeling too great. And we were like, well, this isn't good, but we've, we've got it all sorted. We're going to press on through. It's going to be amazing. And then we woke up on the morning that we were supposed to head out and he was covered head to toe in chicken pox. And I'm thinking that chicken pox on the tube in London is probably not a great idea. So we cancelled our trip and it was devastating at the time. And so we've been waiting ever since to go to London and now it's happening. We've got it booked. So please be praying that nothing gets in the way this time. The train is booked. We're heading to London three nights in the city to see the sights. We're going to go on the London Eye and we'll go to the Natural History Museum and we'll watch the changing of the guard at Buckingham Palace and all of that stuff. We're super excited. So much to do, so little time. You can't get it all done, can you, in three full days in London, but it's going to be amazing. It's going to be, you know, we're super excited for it. But being away... As amazing as it is, as exciting as it is, as, as, as much of a good time as you can be having when you're on holiday, there comes a point, doesn't it, where you just want to be home. 
It doesn't matter how beautiful the scenery is. It doesn't matter how hot the sun is. It doesn't matter how clear the water is. At some point, you just want to be home. You long for home. You get that feeling that actually there's no place like home, is there? Ruth gets there a lot quicker than I do. She is a proper home bird. I revel in being away. If we were abroad and there was a pool and the hot sun, I'd be like, I'm good for like three, four, five weeks as long as, you know, the food keeps coming. I'm good. Let's stay here. But she's like, you know, 10 days and she's like, nah, I need to get home. But eventually I get there too. And I'm like, I just want to get home. And there's nothing quite like getting back into your own bed, is there? When you've been away. Sometimes I take my own pillows with me. We went, to, we went to the men's conference last year and I got laughed at because I brought my pillows with me. But I had a good night's sleep because I like my home comforts as much as I enjoy being away. But there really is no place like home, is there? There's no place like home. And spiritually speaking, you know, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, we all have that same feeling within us. There's that question, that thought that lives within us that says, There must be more to life than this. There must be more to life than this. And for some people, they they try to achieve that, don't they, through through different ways. If I could just get more, if I could get more money, if I could get a bigger house, if I could get a better job, if I could have the perfect family, and then I would feel satisfied, then I would feel fulfilled, then I would be complete. But the truth is, there is more to life than this. There's more to life than all of that stuff. And you were created for a different place. We were all created for a different place. This earth is not our home. This earth is not our home. You have a home. We have a home. It's called eternity. It's called heaven. That is our true home. We're just here for a little while. And it says, as we've just read, that Jesus has gone to prepare a place for us. He's gone to prepare a place for us. And until you come to the the truth of that, until you come to an understanding that, that that is fact, you'll always feel lost. You'll always be wandering around feeling a little bit aimless and not quite knowing what's going on and having that sense that something is not quite right, that you don't quite belong. And I would love to go into a matrix analogy right now because if you have seen that film, you will get how on par that is with what I'm talking about. But for some of you, that will go way over your head. So I won't do that. But I'll read this from C.S. Lewis. He said, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. We were made for another world. We don't feel like we belong here on earth because we don't. We don't belong here on earth. We were made for something more than this. We were made for something greater. We were made for eternity in relationship with our heavenly Father. And so I can relate to the disciples because they want some more details. They want some more information because I'm not quite understanding what it is that you're saying right now, Jesus. And so Peter asked Jesus, he says, where are you going? And then later on he says, why can't I follow you? 
Where are you going? Why can't I follow you? And then later on, Thomas says, how can we know the way? Where? Why? How? I want the details. I want the plan. Just give us some information, Jesus. Stop being so vague. Who knows that sometimes Jesus is a little bit mysterious and a little bit vague when he's talking about what's going on. So I think it's understandable that the disciples are a little bit like, what is he talking about? What, what is going on? What is, it, what is it that he's trying to get to here? I just need a, a little bit more detail. I need some more information. It's understandable that they're feeling a little bit nervous and anxious because these guys left everything. They left their families, they left their livelihoods, they left it all behind to follow Jesus. And now he's saying, right, I'm off. See you later. I'm coming back, but I'm going now and you can't come with me. And so they're just kind of like, but we left everything. And now you're, you're going and you're just leaving us here behind. And so I love the words that Jesus speaks. The start of chapter 14, verse 1, he says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God and believe also in me. And so they're fretting and they're panicking about what the heck is going on right now. What has the last three years been about if you're just going to up and leave us? But he's like, don't worry. Don't worry. It's all going to be okay. I've got you. I'm for you. I'm coming back for you. It's okay. Don't worry. Just trust in the Father and trust in me. You know, faith and trust in the Father and the Son is the antidote to our troubled hearts. When we're feeling worried, when we're feeling anxious, when we're getting a bit nervous because we don't know what is coming next in our lives, Jesus says, believe in the Father and believe in me. You don't need to worry. We don't need to worry. Jesus says, trust me. I know what I'm doing. And then he goes on with these comforting words in verse 2 and 3. In my Father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And I will come again. I will come again to take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. He's describing this picture of his father's house, and this house is big. There's plenty of room. There's room for you. There's room for me. There's room for other people in our community. There's room for other people across the world. This house is big and there are many rooms. There is plenty of room. The more, the merrier. And that phrase, my father's house, it's speaking of an abiding place. It's speaking of a relationship with our heavenly father, of community with him. It's not just a place to live. It's a person to live with. And so when we begin to feel homesick, when we begin to have that feeling within us where we we don't quite belong, that's because there's only one place where you will truly feel at home in relationship with the Father. In relationship with the Father. Last week, 
Ruth showed Thomas in a, in a positive light. I don't know about you, I love Thomas in the Bible. And, uh, and she kind of commented that perhaps this title, Doubting Thomas, is a little bit unfair. And I can buy into that because I don't think any of us would like it if one of our failures got tagged onto our name for the rest of eternity. Ah, there's so-and-so the addict, or there's so-and-so the failure. It just wouldn't be that great, would it? He messed up one time and now he's doubting Thomas and that's how we refer to him, isn't it, regularly? And so Ruth said that's perhaps a little bit unfair and actually in the the passage that she read, it talked about how he had the boldness and the courage to say, we'll go with Jesus even though it looked like it was a suicide mission. He was like, it's all right, we'll go with Jesus. And he encouraged the other disciples too. He had the boldness and the faith that actually it was going to be okay. Let's go with Jesus. And so last week we saw Thomas in a different light. We saw him in a positive light. But this week, I'm afraid, we're back to Thomas being the one who puts his foot in his mouth yet again. Because in verse 5, he says, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? We don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? He absolutely and totally contradicts what Jesus has literally just said. Jesus just said the verse before, you know where I'm going. And he's like, we don't know where you're going. How are we going to know how to get there? And Jesus could have been like, seriously, Tom, I just told you. Would you just open your ears a little bit? I just told you. I'm going to my father's house. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And then I'm going to come back to get you. I've just told you. Do you want me to like draw you a diagram or something so you know what's going on? Part of me thinks, Thomas, mate, what are you doing? What are you doing? But the other part of me thinks Thomas is actually like that kid in school who just says what everyone else is thinking. Because the rest of the disciples are sat there and they are so confused, as always, with what Jesus is talking about. Because he talks in riddles, he talks in parables, and they're a little bit dumb anyway, so they don't quite get what he's talking about. And they're like, I don't really know, but Tom is like, I got you guys. Jesus, what, what is going on? What on earth are you talking about? And they're like, Tom, shut up, mate. It's all right, Jesus, we know what you're talking about. But maybe for the sake of Thomas, you just want to explain it again and maybe do it in more simple, to, for Thomas, so that he gets what it is that you're talking about. And they're leaning in. What's, he, what's the actual answer? Jesus, what's going on? But that is not how this plays out, and I love it. This is not how it plays out, because actually, Thomas's slightly daft question in that moment then leads on to one of the most wonderful comments in the whole of Scripture. Because Jesus said to him, I am the way. I am the truth and I am the life and no one comes to the Father except through me. Thomas, you do know the way. You do know the way. The way is standing right in front of you. I am the way. I am the way back to the Father. I am the way back home, back to where you belong. 
You know, this passage is set just moments before um, and leading up to the cross. We're probably like 48 hours before Jesus was led away to be beaten and brutalized and tortured and then nailed to a cross to die. And, you know, over here we've got, you've seen that picture, you've got you over here and then you've got God over here and there's this chasm between the two. But Jesus died on a cross to build that bridge between us and God so that we can once again have relationship with our Heavenly Father so that we can finally get home to where we belong. I love that Jesus didn't come to earth to to change our behavior. He came for something so much deeper than that. He came for a heart transformation. He wanted to see us changed from the inside out, didn't he? You know, you can hear some incredible testimonies about how people came to know Jesus, but I don't know about you, but for me, I love to hear stories about ordinary, everyday people who didn't know Jesus, who weren't brought up in a Christian home, who had no idea about God and faith and church, but then they just started to ask questions and they started to try to understand a little bit more. And then they had a revelation of the person of Jesus and they gave their lives to God. For me, that is just an incredible story. One of my friends, one of my close friends, now a pastor up in Blackpool, that's his story. And it's amazing because I'm like, wow, it's just mind-blowing. But then other times you can hear stories of people who have had these just mind-blowing transformations. And, you know, you hear these stories about guys who had got caught up in the wrong crowd and then the next thing they're addicted to heroin and they're, they're stealing, they're robbing to get their next fix or they're in prison. Or the people who have grown up in gang culture and knife and gun violence is just everyday normality to them. And then one day they have this incredible encounter with Jesus and their lives are transformed and now they're on platforms telling this amazing, powerful testimony and they're seeing people's lives changed and they're seeing people saved because of their testimony. And sometimes when you hear these super dramatic encounters with Jesus, these life-changing testimonies that just seem so mind-blowing, you can be like, oh my goodness, my story is so dull. Because for me, I was brought up in a Christian home and I was taken to church every Sunday in my Sunday best. I've not carried that on, sorry, mum. <laughs> and then I went to Sunday school and then at some point I just kind of fell in love with Jesus and I gave my life to God and, and now I'm here. But the reality is that my testimony is just as powerful as your testimony, which is just as powerful as the guys who are addicted to heroin or have been in prison or the other guy, whatever. Our stories are just as powerful because we all got home the same way. It doesn't matter what the detail was. We all got home the same way through Jesus, through Jesus, because he is the way. And he's also the truth. You know, we were chatting in life group this week. It was great about the sin scale and how sometimes we put like, we put white lies down here and we put murder up here and we look at this sin scale and we go, whereabouts am I on this list? Well, I don't know, probably about here. I'm doing okay. 
And we just kind of have this, this scale of where we, where we think we might be. And sometimes we, we have this idea and we rate how holy we are based on how unholy someone else is. And so we're thinking, well, I'm a pretty decent person because I'm not as bad as this guy. Do you know what he's done? I've not done anything like that. So I must be okay. I must be all right. Or maybe we rate people that we, that we know. And so we put like Hitler and Putin and we say, well, they are scum. We put them down here. We put Mother Teresa up here because she lived this incredible life. And so on this scale, where am I? Well, I'm definitely not down here. And I, I, I don't know. I'm doing okay. I'm somewhere in the middle. And we rate ourselves based on how unholy someone else is. But how holy and how righteous we are has absolutely nothing to do with anybody else. It has nothing to do with how good or bad we are because the Bible says that sin is sin is sin. All sin is the same. It doesn't matter what you've done or where on the scale you put yourselves. We all we all have fallen short of the glory of God. Each and every one of us. You know, the Bible doesn't say that sin makes you bad. The Bible says it's much worse than that. The Bible says that sin makes you dead. You are dead because of that one white lie you told. You are dead. These are encouraging words this morning, aren't they? And so no matter how good we are, no matter what we say, no matter what we do, no matter what we achieve in life, the only true measure of righteousness is Jesus. And he came and he, he lived this example during his time on earth that was just incredible and inspiring, but also completely unattainable for any one of us because we all sin. We've all fallen short. Not one of us can meet the expectations of God. But here's the good news. Here's the good news. That Jesus died on a cross. And in that moment, he took on himself all of our sin. Past, present, and future. He took it all. And in that moment, it says that God turned his face away from Jesus. Because he couldn't look at sin. And Jesus died. He took it all to the grave. And then three days later, he rose again. He conquered death. And he restored that relationship between us and God. So that we are made righteous in him. So that we are clothed in his righteousness. It says in Ephesians 4, Regarding your previous way of life, you put off your old self which is being corrupted through deceitful desires and be continually renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self created in God's image in the righteousness and holiness of the truth. And truth has a name and his name is Jesus. You know, sadly, we live in a world where where one person's truth no longer needs to be another person's truth. And we live in a world where people are, are troubled about uh, sticking and believing to absolute truth. People just deny the existence in absolute truth. Whatever one person believes, there's someone else who believes something else. And so you're not allowed to think that because it's not true. But I believe in biblical truth. I believe in absolute 
truths. I believe that this is the infallible word of God. I believe that God created us, man and woman. I believe in the institution of marriage. I believe that Jesus came to earth to die for us and that he rose again. I believe that his love for us is unconditional. I believe in these absolute truths and no matter what other people say, that's still truth. That is truth. In Jesus, we discover that truth isn't just a set of ideas, but truth is a person we can know. Truth is a person we can know. And Jesus said in John chapter 8, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You know, you've got to know the truth. Because if you don't know the truth, then you can't apply the truth. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. And then he said, I am the life. You know, so many things can creep into our lives to, to take us away from the life that God created us for. Fears, insecurities, anxieties, addiction, guilt, hopelessness, unforgiveness. All of these things creep in to try and pull us away from the life that God has created and designed for us. And so many people in this world are walking around oblivious to the truth that is found in Jesus. And the reality is that that's not living. That's just existing. Life isn't worth living without Jesus. And our lives will never reach its full potential without Jesus. You know, we may succeed and we may achieve and we may do well in the eyes of the world, but all that counts for nothing without Jesus because Jesus is the life. And there are two aspects to this because we have eternity because of what Jesus did on the cross conquering death. We can have eternal life with him, with the Father, and Jesus said, I'm going ahead of you to prepare a place for you, a room for you in my Father's house so that we can live with eternity with him. And I don't believe that we can fully experience the, the, the fullness, the truth of what life can really be like until that moment. But we also have the space in between, between now and when we get to heaven. We've got life in, in this in-between bit as well, where we, are, we should live a life of purpose, a life that is honouring to God, a life that is pleasing to him, a life that demonstrates to, to those around us just how much God loves them. That's the life that we should be living in this in-between period while we are waiting for Jesus to return. Jesus doesn't just give us life, he is life. That's why he came to earth. It says in John 10.10, 10, Jesus said, I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. And have it abundantly. Jesus is not a way, a way, a truth, a life. He is the way, the truth, the life. 
Thomas Kempis, a, a 14th century scholar, he wrote this. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Without the way, there is no going. Without the truth, there is no knowing. Without the life, there is no living. I am the way which you must follow, the truth which, must, which you must believe, the life for which you must hope. I am the inviolable way, the infallible truth, the unending life. I am the way that is straight, the truth supreme, the life that is true, the blessed, the uncreated life. So I just want to end with uh, a little Jewish history lesson. And when I heard this this week, it absolutely blew my mind. Because in this passage, Jesus makes one of these profoundly beautiful statements that we can totally miss because it's all tied up and wound up into the context of the culture in which it was spoken. You know, in those days when a couple got married, uh, got engaged, sorry, that was a legally binding contract. That's why we read in the story of Jesus' birth that Joseph thought to divorce Mary, even though they weren't married because they were engaged and that was a legally binding contract. But during that period, between the engagement and the wedding, there was a tradition. And listen to this. The tradition was that the groom, after getting engaged, would go back to his father's house and there he would build an extension onto the family household. He would go back to his father's house to prepare a room. And when the building was ready, when the work was done, he would then return back to his bride. They would get married and they, he would take her back to be in her father's house forever. I was like, oh my gosh, these aren't just words that Jesus is speaking. This is like just an incredible picture of exactly what a relationship should look like when we're following these traditions that actually Jesus saying that he is returning to his father's house would have spoke so deeply to the Jewish people of that time because they'd have been like, he's doing that for me. He's doing that for me because we as followers of Jesus, we are the bride of Christ. We're the bride of Christ and when we come to a revelation, a personal revelation of Jesus, we make that engagement commitment, if you like, to Jesus, to love him, to, to wait for him, to believe in him. And so now we're in that waiting period because Jesus has said, I'm going to my father's house. I'm going to build that extension for you. I'm going to prepare that room, that place for us. And when it's ready, when the work is done, I'm going to come back and we're going to have a marriage feast and you're going to return with me to my father's house and we're going to live together for eternity in relationship with one another. How amazing is that? Eternal life is two things. It's knowing him and it's being with him. It's knowing him and it's being with him. In John 17, it says, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. You know, I want to live a John 10, 10 life. I want to live that abundant life. I want to live that life that comes 
from knowing Jesus and being with Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And we just need to believe. We just need to believe. Why don't we pray? Father God, we just thank you that you are amazing. That actually some of the nuances and things that you spoke in the Bible that actually when we begin to dig into them, they can bring such incredible, fresh revelation of who you are and just how much you love us. God, we thank you that you are the way. You are the only way for us to get back home, to get to that place we truly belong in relationship with our Heavenly Father, how you planned it from the very beginning. That you are the truth, the truth that that recognizes we have all sinned and we have all fallen short of the glory of God. But that truth that says you made a way where there was no way, you made a way and that you are the life. That we should live a life here on earth that is honoring to you, sharing the good news to those that we meet. But also that we, we recognize you've gone ahead of us, you've prepared a place for us and that you will return for us so that we can spend eternity in the fullness of life abiding in you.